Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Good morning, Gateway. We are finishing up a series uh, that we've been doing the past couple of weeks on contentment. And so we're going to kind of wrap a bow on it this week and and kind of kind of end it. Um, just as a review, if you haven't been here the past few weeks, I want to just quickly share kind of what we've been talking about to get you up to speed for this third week. So we started off two weeks ago and we shared about this, this spiritual concept of contentment. You know, contentment is something that if you were to define it, you'd probably say being okay with, you know, who you are and what you have. And that's, that's an adequate definition of contentment. But reality is, it's a much more spiritual issue, a much more, you know, um, this way, you and God, than it really is about the stuff of this earth. And so we redefine that to be contentment is being satisfied with what, uh, who God has made you and who he's making you to be and what God has given you. So it, it turns the, the table of it's not just about being cool with yourself. It's turning it to God and saying, being satisfied, God, I trust what you have given me is right. And what, who you are making me and who you have made me is exactly who I'm supposed to be. And so we looked at the first week and, and Paul, the, the apostle Paul was writing to Timothy. And uh, in the church that Timothy was at in Ephesus, the, there had been like false teachers that had come in and they were trying to gain a following from all the believers. This happened all the time back in the day. It would be like now if, you know, Pastor Don took a trip for, you know, six months to go plant churches and somebody came in and like won the approval of everybody and then started saying, well, let me tell you what really you should be following, what you really should be leaving. And they would start to try to lead people people astray happened all the time uh, in the early church. And so what they would do is they would come in and they would tell the people how great they were, puff themselves up, share about all their accolades, all of their achievements. And then at the same time, they compare themselves uh, to everyone else. And they would tell how bad and how, you know, insignificant the other leaders were. And so this is why you should follow me because I am so much better. And so throughout these churches, they would do this, not so that they could win people to Christ, not so that they could lead others to Jesus, not so they could grow the kingdom of God. They would do it for their own personal gain. They would do it so they could financially, more than anything, get money and get a living from these people. So they would lie. They would tell untruths about themselves. They would be very harsh towards other people. They would do whatever they can while parading around as if they were godly Christian followers of Jesus so that they could gain for themselves. And so in, in the book of, of 2 Timothy, Paul's writing a letter to Timothy who he left behind at one of these churches and telling Timothy, what he said to Timothy was, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And so in the first week, we saw that the goal of this sermon series is for us as followers of Jesus to develop a godliness that isn't for our own gain, but that has contentment. And when we are content with our godliness, nothing else, not needing gain from that, then we are at a place that God wants us to be. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
And then last week, we looked at the biggest enemy of contentment, and the biggest enemy of contentment is comparison. Going right back to these false teachers and these false leaders in the church. So what had happened was, in in the Corinthian church, these false teachers recognized that Paul had planted this church, that Paul had set the biblical truth for them and the gospel and the story of Jesus. They had said it, so all of the false teachers turned their eyes toward Paul and decided, we're going to attack Paul. And so there, there's this huge offensive against Paul. Paul was gone. He was planting other churches. They came in and started just ragging on Paul nonstop, telling about how great they were and how horrible Paul was. Like Paul might write good letters, but have you ever heard him speak in public? He's not very good. Oh, he is a weak man. Yada, yada, yada. All of this stuff to try and to compare themselves with Paul and convince the Corinthian church that they were greater than Paul. Paul writes back to the Corinthian church. You think he's going to do the opposite, right? Like if they're like puffing themselves up and and bad-mouthing me, you would think in the grand scheme of things, our human nature, what we would do is we'd do the same thing back. No, Corinthian church, let me tell you why me, Paul, why I'm so great. Let me tell you why I'm the best. Let me tell you why these other false teachers are so horrible. But in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul says something very different. He says, I do not, or we do not, talking about his group that are, that are planning the church, we do not dare compare ourselves to these people. And he says, when they compare and classify themselves against each other, they are not very wise. And we looked at the reason they are not wise is because comparison is the enemy of spiritual contentment. And we saw that what happens in our lives is we observe people or things, reserve people or things. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to compare what we have or who we are with those people or those things. And quickly, if, we're, if, we, if we don't watch ourselves, that comparison takes the next step and becomes envy. So our comparison of what we have versus what they have or what we, what we own, but we don't have this quickly becomes envy. And we think we need more than what we have to survive in this world and to be satisfied in this world. And envy leads to distrusting, disbelieving, having little faith in God because it says, God, you don't know what I need. God, you don't know who I'm supposed to be. I don't have everything I need. So God, why have you not given it to me? And so this comparison trap leads us to a very dark and discontented place. So that's the enemy. So this morning, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to do the positive. We're going to ask the question, well, what is the way to contentment? If our goal is contentment in this life, the enemy is to compare ourselves with other people and then get envious and think we don't have what we need. What is the way to pursue contentment as followers of Jesus? And so when I ask that question, the first, the first thing that comes to my mind is a couple of passages of scripture. And I want to read these first, and then we're going to go a little deeper into something even more. So the first one that I think of is Hebrews 13.5. So this is what Hebrews 13.5, the writer of Hebrews says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you never will I forsake you. That's in Deuteronomy 3. He's kind of quoting Deuteronomy saying, God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. So if you read that, you realize he's saying, you know, trust 
in God's provision for your life. God is not gonna leave you stranded. Trust in God's provision for your life and you'll be content. That is a true statement. And then I also think of it in the, in the um, I think it's on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is talking about, you know, the lilies of the valley, the flowers and the birds. And he says, look at the birds, look at the, look at the lilies, look at the flowers. These things are not as valuable as you people, but God still clothes them. God still takes care of them. God still feeds them. So again, Jesus is appealing to God's provision for us and for all things as a reason to not be worried about the next day. Very similar to being discontent about what we have today or in the future. And so one of the main reasons, one of the important things is to, to trust in God's provision. But I wanna take it a step further this, this morning about the way to contentment because reality is that you know, we watch the news and we, we hear stories of other people. We may have friends who seems like they've been dealt a pretty, pretty bad hand. Like they really have a hard time making it through day by day. There's, I mean, there's poverty all over the world. There's these wars that we know are going on. There's a lot of just circumstances in life that it's hard to say to someone, hey, just trust in God's provision, you'll be taken care of, right? And so this morning, I wanna take another step. I think there's a step past just trusting God's provision for contentment that we're gonna look at the book of Philippians and see what Paul writes. And he's gonna take it another step to really talk about if you really truly want spiritual contentment in your life. Yes, you trust in God's provision, but there's another step that you need to take. So we're gonna be in Philippians. If you have your Bibles, your apps, however you access God's word, you can go ahead and turn there. We'll be starting in Philippians one. We're gonna kind of look through a couple of different passages in that book. So, to start off this morning, uh, a quick observation kind of kind of connects with what we're talking about, and maybe oversimplifying. But you know, I believe for the most part, there's two types of people in this world. All right, two types of people. Um, there's probably a third. We'll get to that one as well. But there's the one type of people that that when they are when they're purchasing something, or when they're buying something, or they need something new, um, they buy the highest price highest quality item. So, you know, when we buy things across the board, whether it's from food to toilet paper to big things like cars and how, like across the board, there's, there's different levels of quality in things, right? And cheaper things usually have less quality than the more expensive things that usually have a little more quality. So there are people out there who always go with the highest quality. They believe that you truly get what you pay for. And so I'm just going to pay for the highest quality item because it's going to last the longest. It's going to be the most valuable. I just need to go ahead and do that. There's other people. There's other people who take the exact opposite approach and they say, you know what? I'm just going to get the cheapest thing. I don't care how high quality this item is. I'm going to go the cheapest thing and maybe I can, you know, get two or three of the cheapest thing in before I have the amount of money that would have cost for the highest quality that may last three times as longer. It'll even out in the end. So let me ask you a question. Raise your hand. How many of you are the type of person who say, I usually buy the, the more highest price, the higher quality item because it lasts longer because it works better. Is anyone like that in here? Some of you guys, yeah, that's all right. Raise your hand, it's all right. We had, a, we had a good crew. We had crew in all three of these that I'm about to share. That's, that's type one. Next type is who here would say, no, I'll just buy the cheapest thing. Hey, I'm the same way. I buy the cheapest thing. You know, I'll go, somebody, let me show you. No, 
just show me the cheapest. I don't need to hear about anything else. Give me the cheapest. So there is, there is a third group of people, and I think most of you are probably falling in this because a lot of you didn't raise your hands. There is the group that truly looks at the cost and looks at the value and determines what cost is worth what value that the item brings, like based on the different features or the quality of the product. Sometimes it may be more valuable to, to buy the cheaper thing. Sometimes it's probably more valuable and better to go ahead and buy the more expensive thing. And, and there's a range and you try to figure out which is the wisest thing to buy. How many of you would you say, no, that's, that's more my, my MO? Yeah, more of you guys, yeah. All right, so um, uh, I'm, as I said, I'm kind of the cheaper, like, I might look at two or three, but I'm looking at the two or three cheapest, right? So always looking for the cheapest. Um, my father-in-law is, is the, the meticulous, looking through all the different values, all the different features, trying to figure out which one really makes sense. And it's funny, he bought my wife and I a gift subscription to Consumer Reports like 10 years ago for my birthday or something. And we still get it every single year. Um, and I think that's him just saying, you know, just kind of saying, hey, you could be a little more wise in your decision-making on what you're buying. I don't know if he's saying that, but it's funny because I get them every single month and, you know, I always turn right to the back page. It's got like the packaging errors that are really funny. And I look at that and then I usually just kind of toss it to the side because I, I'm just looking for the cheapest thing, right? When I open up the charts and consumer reports, all right, cheap, cheap, cheap. Which one's cheap? Which one's the cheapest, highest? That's what I go for, right? Um, but we have these different things and in our life daily, when we're buying things, when we're purchasing things, really more than that, when we are just going through life on a day-to-day -day basis, making choices, we are always making value judgments as well, aren't we? Think about your life. Think about daily. I mean, it, it is unavoidable. Every single day, we make value judgments. Every one of you who are here this morning or watching online, you made a value judgment this morning that coming to church was a valuable part of your time or watching online was valuable in something that was worth doing, right? When you leave and you go to lunch, you're gonna decide where you wanna eat lunch and you're gonna decide what is the value versus the cost versus the time it takes. You're gonna make a value judgment on your lunch. When you go home after lunch, what you do this afternoon, it's gonna be reflective of your values and what you value for the day. And so this idea of value judgments is where I wanna turn us this morning when it comes to contentment. Because in our lives, we place value on everything. And we have a different scale or different scales that, that we line up things and we decide what is most valuable, what is less valuable, what deserves more of my time, what deserves more of my money, what deserves more of my energy, what deserves less. And our whole lives, we could probably step back and chart our whole lives on a board based on values. And based on those values, it would correspond to the way you live your life and the time you spend and the money you spend and the energy you spend on the different things in your life. And so Paul in Philippians, as we move to Philippians, does this exact same thing in his life. It's inevitable as human beings. He talks consistently to the Philippians in this book about values. And he places his ability to be content, his spiritual contentment in the fact that he's got his value system right. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at Paul's value system and see what we can learn from it. So let's start off in Philippians 1. We're going to start right at the beginning, Philippians 1, but verse 12. A little background. Paul is in a prison in Rome. 
And he is actually, for preaching the gospel, of course, for, for sharing Jesus, he's in a, in a prison in Rome. And you'll see he's not sure whether or not he's ever going to get out of this prison. It's, it's pretty much a life or death situation, and he's not sure which way it's going to turn. So, you know, you find out a lot about people's values when they, re- when they realize they don't have very much more time to spend possibly on this earth. They begin to realize these are the things that I really value. These are the things that really matter. And so in the book of Philippians, in this letter to the Philippians, Paul is really showing what his values are. So let's jump into verse 12. Paul's going to first talk about him being in prison. And this is what he says. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the Philippians, he's talking to them, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. This is kind of a side note, but I think it's so interesting how God works. When people try to do something to to quell the gospel, to to keep it down, to to keep the spread of Jesus, it always does the exact opposite. Like this happens even to this day in other countries that are persecuting the Christian church. That's where the church is growing the most. When people try to stop God, God shows his power even more. And so in this moment, they had, they have like, Paul was the the leader of the Christian church at this time. They have arrested him and thrown him into jail, thinking by throwing him into jail, we're taking the leader out. We're taking out the the greatest missionary. This is just going to, this is going to stop this movement. And the Christian church is going to die. The gospel is just going to get, get stopped in its tracks. And Paul says the exact opposite thing happened, that his Time and change, his time in jail actually encouraged the people, gave them more courage, gave them less fear, gave them more confidence in what God was doing. And as we know, the exact opposite thing happened. The church continued to grow and grow. But here's the thing I don't really want to look at. Let's look down at verse number um, Verse number 19, we're going to start at 19, because now Paul begins to talk a little bit more about what the Philippians have done for him. They sent him a care package. They had been supporting him really well. They've been helping him financially. They have been one of those churches that really cared for him throughout the, um, the time that he has been traveling around planting churches. All right, so this is what he says. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Deliverance. So you think that he's saying, I will probably be free. I will be set free one day. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. But then he says, whether by life or by death. So his understanding of deliverance isn't just getting out of prison. He could be delivered by life or by death. Either one of those for him is deliverance. And we're about to see why. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, 
but it is more necessary for you, Philippians, that I remain in the body. So, so let's take a step back and look at, look at Paul's understanding. It's like he's, he's, you can imagine him in a prison cell, just dirty, nasty, just, just not in a good spot, but he's sitting there at a desk, writing this letter to Philippians, thinking about his future, thinking about what God's gonna do in his life. He's either going to be stuck in the prison cell. He doesn't think that's gonna happen. He's either gonna be let out of prison so that he can go back to planting churches or he's gonna be put to death. Like he has two choices, life or death. I'm in prison now. And he's almost like putting the two in a, in a value situation, right? He's judging. He's got this balance here. And he says, in life will be good for the churches because I can continue to minister to them. I can continue to mentor them. I can continue to, to write to them and lead them. And he said, but let's say I die. Let's say I'm put to death. I think for most of us, we'd say, yeah, I think I'd rather live. Yeah, that's an easy, that's an easy value, value judgment. I would rather live than I'd rather die. But for Paul, it wasn't that easy. Because Paul looks at death as a gain in his life in the moment. He sees that as much of a deliverance for him as if he were to be set free from his chains. Because he says that, let's read it again. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. He realized that his knowing Jesus and the opportunity to see Jesus face to face was of greater value than staying here on the, in the world and going around and ministering to the churches and planting churches. For him personally in his own value system, he would rather see Jesus face to face tomorrow than be let out of his chains tomorrow. That's how much he valued Jesus. And so that's why in your first fill in the blank, the answer is that Paul saw death as gain because he saw Jesus as most valuable. Think about that. Paul saw death as gain because he saw Jesus as most valuable. That is mind-blowing to me and probably to you as well as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian. Like right now, if, if I were to be asked, hey, guess what? You can see Jesus face to face tomorrow, but that means giving up everything in this world. I would have a hard time saying yes to that. I don't know about you. Let's be honest. Give up everything in the world, but you get to see Jesus face to face. Paul would say, absolutely, sign me up right now. Jesus, uh, Paul's value of knowing Jesus, of seeing him face to face was so high that Jesus was so valuable and so treasured in his life that he would rather die and be with Jesus than continue to live on this earth. Talk about a value system that was different than the rest of the world. Wild. All right, let's continue on. So, so Paul treasured Christ above everything else and he would rather be with Jesus. So his treasuring of Christ, we're gonna continue on in Philippians, his treasuring of Christ in that way, his, his value system that put Jesus so high up above everything else led him to be the person that he was to that day. Like he had gone through a lot in his life. He had, he had struggled and been persecuted and everything. And he says it was all worth it because I knew Jesus. Let's continue on. Philippians 3.8. Treasuring Christ, as Paul did, provides some contentment. I want to talk about three different ways. First, we're going to start in uh, Philippians 3.8. But let's jump ahead. Let's jump back 
to verse five to start off with, or even verse four, because what Paul does is he talks a little bit about his past. Many of you know who Paul was in his past, but if you don't know, Paul was a Jew, not just any Jew though. He was trained by the the top Pharisees in the land. He was the Jew of Jews. Like if he would have continued in the Jewish religion and continued to persecute Christians, which he did back in the day, he was top dog in Israel. Well-known, well-received. He had everything that he needed here on this earth. And then Jesus radically changed his life and then everything changed for him. So let's look at verse four. He says this, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So he's talking about all that he had. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, his pedigree was really strong, basically is what he's saying here. In regard to the law of Pharisee, he kept all the law. In regard, as for zeal, persecuting the church, he did everything to protect the Jewish religion is what he was saying. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So Paul is saying, in worldly standards, I had it all. That's what he's saying. But, look at verse seven. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Even more, or what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Down to verse 10. I want to know Christ. I mean, this, he is explicitly showing his value judgments right here. I consider Christ worth knowing, the worth of knowing Christ greater than all things. For the sake of Christ and for knowing Christ, he says, I've lost all things. So let's go back to this idea of a scale here, a value scale, a value system in the life of Paul. Paul is saying, believers of Christ, you basically have this value system here. And on one side is, is all things, right? That's kind of what he's saying. Everything of this world, everything of this earth, everything that you've gained in this earth, all your worldly accomplishments, all your worldly accolades, all your worldly resources, everything in this world is on this side of the scale. And then he says, there's one thing on this side, only one, and that's knowing Jesus Christ. And for Paul, what he says is knowing Jesus Christ outweighs everything in this world so greatly that everything else is considered loss. Everything is lost. It's, I consider it worthless. It's, it's not even like worth considering when I compare that to the worth of just knowing Jesus, of my relationship with Christ, of that one-on-one -on -one connection, of being able to see Jesus face-to-face -face one day, but also being able to be in a relationship with him now. That is so much greater, so much more valuable. The worth of that totally outshines, outweighs anything that this world has to offer. And that's why Paul did what he did. That's why he could be content in the way that he was content. That's why Paul radically changed the world for Jesus because his value system was so on point with what God wants for us. So what, what that does is, is let's, look at, let's look at the next fill in the blank there. This brings spiritual perspective. Paul, 
Paul was saying, I see things clearly now. Before I was a Christian, when I wasn't following Jesus, I didn't see things clearly. I I saw this scale. I saw maybe religion on this side, maybe the church over here, maybe um, the Bible over here. There were things over on this side, but the things of this world radically, drastically outweighed church. It drastically outweighed religion. It drastically outweighed, outweighed Bible or, or whatever it is, my Sunday morning. Like it drastically outweighed everything. But he saw things differently when Jesus changed his life because all of these things no longer were just stuff to do. They became a means to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord, to having a relationship with Jesus. And so when Paul saw that he could have a personal relationship with Jesus, his perspective changed on everything. He saw things completely different. Now he sees all of this is worthless compared to the relationship with Jesus, to knowing Christ and being known by him. Change in spiritual perspective. Let's continue on. Now we're going to move to Philippians 4. And we're going to be looking at Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Verses 11 through 13. And this is going to be the next two. We'll go ahead and fill them in so I can talk through them afterwards. Spiritual equilibrium. Spiritual equilibrium. Treasuring Christ as Paul did provides contentment through spiritual equilibrium. And the last one is spiritual power. Spiritual power. So let's look at these. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Now Paul begins to turn his perspective and turn his communication to the Philippians about all of the things, all the, the, the resources and all the support that the Philippians had given to Paul. He was so grateful for that. He said thank you to them numerous times, but he wants to clarify something. We're going back to the spiritual perspective. He wants to clarify something about everything that the Philippians have given him. And check this out. Verse 11, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying thank you to, to you. I'm not you know, lauding what you've done for me because I am in need. Verse 11, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. And he says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Let's stop there for a moment. So Paul is, is showing that he has accomplished this spiritual equilibrium in his life through this contentment because of how he now sees the value of Christ so much more than all these things. He's saying, my circ- Paul's circumstances changed on the daily. Like one day he was in a church leading a group of people to Christ and sharing the good news of Jesus. The next day he was traveling somewhere else. Maybe he was on a ship that got shipwrecked in the ocean. Maybe he was being chased by the Jewish leaders who didn't want him to be preaching Jesus. Maybe he had been thrown into a prison. Day in and day out, his circumstances constantly changed. But Paul was completely satisfied, completely content, completely full of purpose, no matter what his circumstances were because of this spiritual equilibrium in his life. And it doesn't matter our resources either. This is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I've been in need. I've had plenty. I've had enough food. I've gone hungry. It doesn't matter. I've been in, in the, the resource category of my life of the earthly gains and earthly things. I've had a lot. I've had a little. I've been all over the place, but none of it really mattered because I was content in knowing Jesus. 
And so when we value Jesus above everything of the world, what happens in this world becomes less important. And knowing Jesus becomes more important. And we're not swayed by, by the daily ins and outs of the world or the, the, the amount that's in our bank account or the way the stock market is working or where the economy is or how our friends are treating us at the time. All of the things of this world, they, we're not swayed by those. Those don't control our emotions. Those don't control our contentment. They don't control our purpose any longer because we have someone greater in Jesus better than all of those things. And then Paul pens some of the most misused words in all of scripture in Philippians 4.13. Let's read it. I can do all this, or you may have heard, I can do all things through him, through Jesus, who gives me strength. No doubt all of you at some point have, have heard that verse before. I can do all things, I can do all this through him, through Jesus, who gives me strength. Where have you heard that most? Sports, right? Seems like every athlete these days is quoting Philippians 4.13, tattooing it on them, writing it, whatever it may be. But they're using it completely wrong, right? They're saying that because of Jesus, I can throw this touchdown pass. Because of Jesus, I can dunk this basketball. Because of Jesus, I can do anything I want to do. I wish that were the case, then I might get dunk a basketball, right? I can't do that. I'm never going to be, a dunk, be able to dunk a basketball ever in my life. I'm short. It's not going to happen, right? I can't say Philippians 4.13 and then dunk the ball. It's not going to happen, right? Because what is Paul talking about here? What is the context that he's in? He's talking about contentment. He's talking about the ups and the downs, the gains and the losses, the highs and the lows. He's saying, I can be content in my life in all things, I can follow Jesus passionately and I can do this because of Christ's strength in me, because of that spiritual power. It's funny to me when, they, when, when athletes use that because they're really saying the opposite of what they think they're saying when they quote it, right? Because what they're really saying is, is, I'm content with winning or losing. I'm content with making the touchdown pass or throwing the interception. I'm content with ducking the ball or shanking it off the rim. And it, it, that's, what, that's what Paul's saying here. I have the strength to accept, be content, be satisfied in every situation, win or lose, gain or lost, good or bad because of Christ's strength in me. Not I can do anything I wanna do. And so Philippians 4.13, Paul says, I can be completely content in my life, in this life, here on the earth because of Christ in me and because of my knowledge and relationship with him and because I see Christ as greater, worth more, more valuable than anything of this world. So where does that leave us at the end of this series of, of contentment? Where it leaves us is very simple, is, is we all have a value system. Day in and day out, we operate, we make choices, we spend our time based on that value system. And that value system also determines whether or not we will be content in our life or discontent in our life. That value system will determine what we spend all of our energy pursuing. That, that value system will determine where we sink all of our money 
right? That value system will determine how our emotions are day in and day out. Some of us value comparing ourselves with other people and coming out on ahead a whole lot. And that's why we're so discontent. And that's why we spend so much time worried about what others think of us. And that's why comparison is the enemy of contentment. But Paul, I think we made clear this morning, would say there's only one way to have spiritual, true spiritual contentment in this life. There's only one value system that works. And it's the value system that raises Jesus Christ above anything that this world offers. It's the value system that recognizes there's nothing here on this earth that can satisfy. Jesus is the only one. It's the value system that when placed on a scale of all the stuff that we can get here versus simply knowing Jesus, that Jesus far outweighs anything else. So I think the challenge at the end of this series for every single one of us is looking at our lives and asking the question, what do we value most? What do I value most? And you can figure that out pretty easily. What do you spend your money on? What do you spend your time on? What do you spend your strength on? What keeps you up at night? What are you thinking about when you wake up in the morning, right? That's what, that's what we value. That's what you value. And we can pretty easily say, is that Jesus and knowing him or is that everything else in the world? And if we would say, no, there's something in this world that that is what I value, we need to repent of that. We need to surrender that. We need to give that up and say, Jesus, change our hearts to value you the most so that I can be content in this life. Let's pray.